terms of listening, I think one of the common mistakes that people make is that they either listen to respond or they're listening with another agenda. They're not really listening to understand right. what's being said. You don't listen to understand the other person because as soon as you think of what your next question is going to be, you're back on your own agenda. Knowledge right. is not power. It's the application of knowledge which gives you power. But turn that information into intelligence. Welcome back to Stop Killing Deals, the show where we interview non-sales professionals to get outside perspective on interesting topics. And then we bring that back by talking to sales professionals on how we can create inside solutions for the world of complex B2B sales. In this episode, we will be talking to Kirk Kinnell, who's an experienced hostage negotiator. Yeah, isn't that cool? (laughs) And he has decades of experience, both from armed policing and hostage negotiation in Scotland and all over the world. And as a qualified hostage negotiator, he attended around 250 incidents to successfully save the lives of people in crisis. Kirk has also helped improve a lot of training and systems in the field of hostage negotiations and now also within the business context. So I think that we can learn a lot from how hostage negotiators talk to people, and help save lives. So with that said, welcome, Kirk. Good morning, George. Thank you. Hey, good morning. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hostage negotiation. Sounds like a Hollywood movie to me. So yeah, you, has that has that ring to it. Yeah, it does. Can you please tell me how you got into hostage negotiation? What, what got you started in this area? Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, Clearly, my background and my career was 30 years in law enforcement. And as a young officer, I was on the armed response vehicles. I was on the the armed crews. And I was at a siege, um, armed to man with a a gun. And the hostage negotiation team arrived. And I recognized the professionalism from within my own discipline and I saw the level of professionalism that they brought to the event, and I was most impressed. And I saw that they were, you know, mentally agile and able to resolve the situation differently from what I had experienced before. So I really wanted to learn more about that, and it also helped me, you know, want to to bring some help to some of these situations where I realised that at that point in time I never had the same skill set as those guys and girls had when they came to the scene. So yeah, I was most impressed and just wanted to be one. That's what happened very early for me. That is very interesting. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a good journey, but I think when I became a hostage negotiator, you know, I think the intensity of the training, um, the whole journey shows you how, you know, involved with that lifestyle that I became because after three years service, four years service on the, armed response teams, eventually becoming a hostage negotiator, then I retained that role and skills throughout the remaining 20, 25 years of my service and ended up becoming the head of both the armed policing team in Scotland and the hostage negotiation team in Scotland. So both disciplines, um, I retained them throughout my career because they just stuck with me. And at the time, initially, 
some of the senior officers believed that those skills um, potentially would conflict with each other. But in actual fact, when you recognize what they both bring to the event, they complement each other very nicely because at that time they were used to reduce conflict and to reduce conflict in the most efficient and effective way. So for me, it was a good thing to to keep both skills and, and use them both and learn from each other. And as a consequence, the, the training of both teams yeah. um, improved and their understanding of each other's discipline improved. So, yeah, for me, it was pretty straightforward and easy. I could see the benefits that that would bring to the organization. But to me personally, the personal development for me was was immense. Wow. So you were on site with guns, but you were more impressed with the people that had no guns and were just yeah. using words. Yeah, absolutely. I realized that um, sometimes the best way to resolve conflict was to use no force. And hostage negotiation offered that option with the least amount of force possible. And that's something that I thought would be relevant and good for the organization to, you know, really market and advertise that stance because that's that's the, the type of organization that the public would want. They would want one that has a peaceful and, and safe resolution at the top of their mindset. Do you have any statistics on how successful hostage negotiations are in general? Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So surprisingly, um, we we kept a a record every year of the number of calls that we attended and the number of successful resolutions. And over the period of 20 years, the success rate was 99.9%, you know, in terms of the volume of calls, there, there perhaps would be around 200 calls per year. Okay. Um, and the reality for that is almost everyone was successful. And the and the few, yeah, we would never call them failures because the hostage negotiation team would still be there trying um, as much as they could. But sometimes people would perhaps be on the edge of a bridge or, or take their own life and, and occasionally they would they would take their own life just as the team arrived, but we would still obviously be loath to count that as a as a success because they tried so hard. So for me, the issue was um, to to attend. We found a discipline that mm-hmm. seemed to change the mindset of people. So that became for me the area of expertise where you could influence the behaviour of people yeah. who wanted to do one thing. And you yep. could convince them to do the very opposite. So in many occasions, people perhaps wanted to end their lives and hostage negotiators eventually convinced them to want to to save their own lives and we would help them do that. So that's, for me, yeah, the figures are very impressive, but more importantly, the number of lives saved is the, is yeah. the things which really were were incredible. That's fascinating. The numbers in sales... Uh, the audience of this show, as you know, is, is salespeople, sales managers, sales leaders. The numbers there are, are less impressive. Uh, the statistics show that more than half of, of the deals that salespeople qualify into their pipelines actually are, are not won. Uh, and maybe it doesn't mean that they're killed uh, or die forever, but uh, that certainly means that they are not won. So I'm sure we can learn a lot from you. And, and one thing that that struck my mind when I was thinking about this, when you come to a such a loaded situation, uh, I guess you have a very limited uh, time uh, to really gain that person's trust uh, 
and create that connection. Do you have any specific methods that you use to 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 do that? Well, yes, of course. I mean, the reality is that hostage negotiators would arrive at the scene and on almost every occasion, the balance of power was with the other person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, in a hostage taking, the person with the knife or the gun would have all of the power and the police would have no power. Yeah. So we would have to move the balance of power gradually over a period of time to the team to gain that person's trust. And of course, we learned over time when we reviewed our successes was that there was a repeatable process for one, building trust, and two, changing the mindset of that other person. And building trust, there are some, of course, key ingredients in building Mm -hmm. trust. Yeah. The first is really being authentic because we select hostage negotiators who go through a rigorous process and intense training for a considerable period of time. And they have to be genuine. They have to care about the people and be able to demonstrate that they care about the people. So that's probably the first key ingredient is that being able to articulate and demonstrate an authenticity about you care about the, let's call it a customer, but for us, it's never a customer. It's a person. We would never refer to them as prospects or customers. They're just people. And we really find out their name. We bring a warm exchange. And for me, the heart of trust is really about certainty and repeat experience, two ingredients. It's about bringing certainty to an equation where there is massive uncertainty. Okay. And, you know, you can build trust the more you repeat that same experience with that person. So you know that if you have a, a good experience with one of your friends, the more often you do it, the more you trust that person with that type of event. Yeah. So, so hostage negotiators will do things like not approach the person to cause them concern, or if they do approach, they'll approach slowly and perhaps bring them food or water. And we'll do that repeatedly to show that we're not trying to trick them. Mm-hmm. So really to, to put their suspicion at ease. And so if people don't really trust you, they will be suspicious of you. So the first thing we have to do is eliminate suspicion. Right. The second thing really for that is about telling them the truth. So if they suspect you're not telling them the truth, of course, they will perceive that you're telling lies. So in the yeah. hostage negotiation world, we teach the team never to tell a lie. And even when you're asked the most difficult conversation to difficult question, we train them to deal with that in the most sensitive way because most of us as human beings find the easiest way to get out of a difficult situation is just to tell a white lie and hopefully uh-huh. move on. But but we recognize that the other side, the person, can hear it, they can smell it, they can taste it, they can yeah. feel it. And regardless of how good you think you are, you know, you're never really authentic. And probably the last thing is about transparency. And again, it's being transparent or at least being open about the level of transparency you can bring. Because if people perceive you not to be transparent, then they will perceive you have a fraudulent intent. Okay, they'll be even more suspicious of your motives. So we teach people about trust. We teach them about the truth. We teach them about transparency and also repeat shared experiences and being honest with people and being authentic. And when you combine all of those elements together, hostage negotiators build trust on the edge of a bridge at the side of a building really quickly. You can almost get to know someone 
and have a connection with them in a short period of time, in maybe 30, 40 minutes, one hour. So a person who's contemplating losing their life yeah. with massive uncertainty at that point in time, mm -hmm. then we bring certainty and trust to them. And of course, human beings, yeah, we are designed to want to trust people. So we tap into that feeling. People want to trust you and really right. all you can do is, is damage that. So we teach them to to be a help and not a hindrance to that equation. But it's really interesting because I think uh, when, when uh, the average person thinks about hostage negotiation, we probably think about Hollywood movies we've been looking at <laughs> and, and yeah. authenticity and transparency are not words that come to mind when, when at least when I think about the, the those movie clips that I've seen, it's usually that they trick the person into doing something, uh, free the hostages and, and shoot the person. Um, so isn't it difficult to be authentic when the other person is doing something potentially very harmful to other people? How do you balance that act? Of yeah, well, absolutely. All you can all you can do is be yourself, and you can find things in common with people even when they are they are doing some some bad things. So typically, we would try to display some empathy, and empathy is is not about you know, I've heard that described as walking in the shoes of other people and feeling their feelings. Empathy for me is about recognizing and articulating the emotions and context of yeah. the situation that you see. So we would say out loud things like you seem very angry as a consequence of an event that has happened to you. Uh -huh. And usually the person will acknowledge that you have seen something going on with them. And it's right. that moment in time when you connect with someone, when there's a mutual recognition of something real, well, that's when you build trust. And, and we call that an engrossed transformational moment, an engrossed transformational conversation when you know that moment in time, perhaps in your own life, where you meet someone and there's just, yeah, he just gets me or she just gets me. And you yeah. find it hard to explain what happened. It's uh -huh. usually the consequences of a recognition and a mutual understanding, and you personally will just feel heard and understood. So we try and make people feel heard and understood. And yeah, there's no there's no trick to that because the minute you start to trick someone, then you will lose trust really quickly. And in the world of hostage negotiation, if we do that, we will harm a relationship, and we cannot afford to do that when a human life is at stake. So right. the stakes are too high to to tell lies. So and we've also learned in hindsight that that brings added benefits, perhaps that we did not initially see, but we obviously use, you know, our, our clinical psychologists who can explain that in great detail about why that works. So now we understand that, we yeah. retrain that back into the teams. And that's something that, that I'm teaching in the corporate world now is about saying you can, you can be authentic, you can be real, and you have to build trust. But that trust has to be real because... For salespeople, you know, once the sale is done, your objective cannot be to harm the person or or not care about the outcome. Hopefully, it's about not. making sure. Yeah, well, listen, I, I, I have I have spoken to some sales staff previously, and we asked the question. Yeah. How many of you have told a lie to get the deal done? And almost everyone says, "Yeah, we've done that." And say, "Well, that will never bring you repeat business. Mm -hmm. you know, it will harm your organization." And so for me, the world of hostage negotiation 
can teach something to sales staff is that, well, especially for the organizations, repeat business comes from sustainable personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Sustainable personal relationships is sustainable growth. That means repeat business. That means profits. So that short-term gain, if you like, that frontline sales staff have learned can sometimes be beneficial, usually does more harm than good. And so they learn that even though it may take longer or it's a bit of a tougher journey, it's usually better for the overall organization. Right. Yeah, definitely. So would you say that there are some common mistakes uh, made in, in hostage negotiation that, that you sort of have seen and that you teach new new uh, recruits to not repeat? Yeah, yeah, listen, so I think um, the most obvious one is that people with, with good intentions use the phrase, ah, yeah, I understand completely. You know that, that phrase, and okay. usually that backfires um, when the person demonstrates, you can't possibly understand my situation. And yeah. almost what, what you're doing there accidentally is diminishing their story. And of course, they're going to react negatively right. to that. And of course, probably the most obvious mistake is to is to tell someone who is who is angry or frustrated to, to calm down, because ah. never <laughs> in the history of calm down has calm down <laughs> ever worked. And right. we recognise that what you're actually doing is rather than display empathy to that situation, you can either display apathy or antipathy, where you almost reject their need to express an emotion. And of course. When you tell someone their emotions are not valid, they're not going to react well. So, yeah, calm down is probably the most obvious mistake <laughs> that people make when they're confronted by an outpouring of emotion. Yeah, that, I can see how that can backfire. <laughs> yeah, sure. I can. I can see you smiling. It seems you've 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 perhaps made that error in the past, also like me. <laughs> yeah, most certainly. Uh, I have kids, <laughs> so yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, on, on the flip side of that, then, do you have sort of any any specific questions that you have as go to go tos that you oftentimes use to uh, create that connection and relate to the other individual? Yeah, listen. In, in terms of that, well, there, I would I would say we would probably stay away from a menu of of go to phrases. And the yeah. reason I would I would tell people to stay away from that is because if it's over rehearsed or or practiced, then it's it lacks authenticity. Yeah. But what we do is we ask them to rehearse those type of engagements where mm-hmm. eventually things just flow naturally from you. So right. most people would think that hostage negotiators like me this morning can talk forever. But in actual fact, the skill is to is to listen to the other right. side. So we really get them to practice to really hear what's being said. And not to jump to conclusions. You know, for me, the one of the one of the other mistakes that people make is to have too much faith in what they would call their instincts without validating some of the things that come out in dialogue. Mm-hmm. So we would ask them to probe the dialogue and and become more sure of their facts rather than making quick assumptions. That is very interesting because I think assumptions is something that really is a problem in in communications in general. And how how so? Could you share an example of how you would uh, take something that you have heard, and uh, maybe you made a, an assumption based on on what they said, and you want to confirm what they actually meant? 
how, how would you how would you phrase such a question? Yeah, well, it's it's relatively straightforward. So what I would do was I would I would perhaps hear an emotion, and the emotion I would maybe hear or see would be, you know, someone at the edge of a bridge or someone on the edge of a building, yeah, are have a very, you know, angry face, and we would yeah. say, well, you're clearly angry about something, uh-huh. and the person would become even more angry because you're not connecting with them. Right. So we learned to, you know, have a guess at that emotion that you see without being accusatory or directive or assuming that you have it correct. Uh-huh. And we would prefix that guess, if you like, with a simple phrase like, it sounds to me like, it sounds as if, I feel as if you're angry, so that you're not accusatory right. of telling the person that they're angry. And when you do that, you say, I get the sense that you're very angry today. Then the response that you get from the person is, no, I'm not angry, but I'm frustrated. And I'm frustrated because of A, B, and C. Uh-huh. So you can see there by, by guessing what's a reasonable guess, you yeah. could make an assumption. But actually, if you just probe a bit further and have the time to listen and, and confirm with the person, then they'll usually put you on the right lines and without assuming the person's anger, all of a sudden you'll have a whole story about why they're frustrated. Because visually, to most people, anger and frustration, those emotions, they look very similar. Of course, there is subtle nuance and and difference in terms of the facial expressions, but to to the general layperson, they look identical. Yeah, that's that's very, very interesting. And have you been in situations where they are asking you or something that you definitely cannot provide, like so give me a helicopter and then tell me ten million dollars within ten minutes kind of situation. How do you handle that? Well, I, I think the without adding pressure to the situation, or without adding pressure to yourself to say, okay, we're working on a helicopter, we'll have it here in maybe thirty minutes because you suspect the SWAT team will force the door down in twenty minutes. It's a Hollywood movie scene, really, right? So the, the reality is what you do is just ask the question, you know, because if someone's asking for a, a, helico- a helicopter, um, they're basically trying to satisfy a need, and we have to understand what that need is. Yep. So we could assume that need is to escape, but in actual fact, it's obviously just to get out of that situation. So what we could do is to say, are there other ways to achieve that same objective? And that would be, you know, something simple like, okay, so you're caught in a bank robbery. You probably did not intend for things to go wrong right now. Of course, you appreciate you you cannot escape um, completely from this situation, but you can help the situation and not make it any worse. So all of a sudden, you're starting to offer solutions which point towards the same basic need as to not end up in jail for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So there's always other ways to achieve that need, that goal. So when people make a demand, really it's an expression of a need. And we just have to understand what's behind that demand rather than reacting to the demand, which is a superficial way to have a conversation. Yeah. I listened to one of your, uh, I think it was one of your podcast interviews, and you said something that fascinated me. You said, sell ideas that match their ideals. Yeah. Uh, can you, can you expand on what, what you meant by, by that? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens there when we're involved in the world of hostage negotiation is that we learn 
to basically understand people. Okay, we always try and understand their perspective, which is a phrase that we use over and over again, understand the perspective of mm -hmm. other people. And when I'm talking about this, I I quote a famous Scottish poet, and you'll okay. forgive me for, for <laughs> getting a Scottish poet in this, and it's Robbie Burns, a famous <laughs> poet. Yeah. And in one of his poems, To a Louse, he says a phrase, and don't worry, I'll translate it into English as soon as I'm <laughs> finished. He says, yeah. well, what's some power the gift to give us to see ourselves as others see us? And really what that means, translated um, for English, is, oh, how powerful would it be to be able to see ourselves the way other people see us? Right. But that's really impactive because it's not about the way you see yourself in a mirror with your rose-tinted glasses. Uh -huh. It's how do other people actually see you? Yeah. So we teach hostage negotiators to be brutal in terms of their assessment of themselves mm -hmm. and of other people. So we teach them to listen for all of the clues that help you figure out people. And once you figure people out, the solution is normally staring you straight in the face rather than making assumptions. So where that translates to sales, and I'll draw a comparison between selling a car or buying a car and, and, and saving a life. So it's the same mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. If someone comes to a, a car showroom, perhaps to, to a car showroom in Sweden where you are, yeah, and and they're coming to to buy a car. It will be quite obvious to the salesperson that the 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 man who's buying the car, and let's just create this scenario: the man who's buying a car for his family, and uh -huh. he has two young children. Well, it's very easy for the salesperson to say, "Ah, you'll want a, a, a car with very good safety features, and you'll want seat belts that are very sturdy." And so, this particular brand of car is uh -huh. is known for its safe reputation. So, you'll keep your kids safe. And all of a sudden, the guy buys the car because it has all that he wants. Okay, mm -hmm. really straightforward. Hostage negotiators do that, but with a bit more detail and a bit more skill. So they will speak to someone on the edge of a bridge. Uh -huh. We will listen to their story, obviously in a lot more detail than that exchange. Yeah. And we will sell them back to them. So the salesperson has basically sold a, a, a car solution that the person has told it's his need when he walks into the showroom and we listen for the person's need, which is a bit more complex. So it may well be that in their life, they have a series of, of upsets or, or things that have gone wrong. Yeah. But deep down, they have a drive, they have mm -hmm. a motivation and a desire to perhaps make their family proud. But what the behavior that exhibits that moment in time is shame and despair. But yeah. we know that inside, behind that veneer, that surface, there is a person who really wants to work hard, really wants to look after their family, and the shame is making them want to perhaps end their life because they cannot face the mountain of debt or loss of their job or something we say. But, but inside there is a loving, caring, hardworking man. And so let's, let's talk to that person. Let's talk to the person who is a survivor and a fighter for their family. Right. And we, we change that shame into pride. You know, we, we, it's the opposite. So we basically reflect back to them who they are and who they want to be. And that's how we can sell hope to people because we don't just act on the superficial behaviours. Right. We dig a bit deeper to, to what's going on behind the scenes. Very interesting. Unlike a Hollywood movie. Yes. No, it's interesting. So you, you go all the way up to their identity and maybe even their higher purpose in life to, Absolutely. to understand their motivations. Absolutely. What about situations where there are more 
uh, hostage takers. Or, uh, so you have maybe five people who wanted to rob a bank. Have you ever been in such an, a situation where you have to basically speak yeah, um, to multiple people? <laughs> yeah, listen, I've, I've been in a, in a situation where, not a robbery of a bank, but we've I've been at a siege where we uh-huh. maybe had about, it was probably about 10 people on a rooftop and they were, okay, you know, causing damage and vandalizing property and, and, and causing mayhem in the area. Yeah. And the tactic we selected at that point was to divide and conquer because we realized very quickly when we analyze people that yeah. there are there are strong personalities and right. the benefit we would get from approaching um, strong personalities would have different styles and different approaches. Uh-huh. So I, I, I moved to one end of the building and spoke to some of the, the men at the, at the far corner of the building. And my friend Eddie, my colleague Eddie, stayed at the front of the building. And we engaged them separately, but with a joint strategy. And so we basically played them against each other to say, well, you know, you're a strong personality, but I believe the other guy at the, at the end of the building is, is in control of the event recognizing that would have an impact on that person he basically said no one controls me well if no one controls you perhaps you could end the siege and show people how courageous you are that you're not dominated by one person and as a result of that we moved from 10 people on the roof to five people on the roof and then the landslide started so eddie then worked on his team at the front and and managed to convince them that their objective could be achieved in other ways. And it's usually that's the solution. The solution is usually there's another way to achieve your same goal. Right. It's fascinating, really fascinating. So have you been in a, in a situation where where it's been really tough and it's taken a really long time to, to solve the situation? And if so... Yeah, yeah I've been in a few of them. Yeah, and, and, and what... what in those situations, was there something specific that that happened at the end that sort of shifted everything around, or was it just that they they got tired, or I mean, any any conclusions from from those experiences? Yeah, so there is there is a correlation between the length of time and the level of success. So okay. clearly, the longer a situation goes on, mm-hmm. the greater chance you have of success because the way that human beings behave under pressure is that when they're in crisis they lose the ability to think logically but clearly over time we can we can stabilize them and start to get them to think logically and when they think logically it means that they are open to proposed solutions yeah sometimes that length of time can be longer than others because there may well be the impact of alcohol or drugs Right. And so we have to wait some time until the alcohol, drugs, rage, whatever that thing is that's causing that mm-hmm. overload of emotion. Once we see that overload of emotion start to reduce, then we can start to offer solutions. We can connect with the person better. But yeah, the longest siege I've had was an armed siege in, in a place um, just on the outskirts of Glasgow that lasted for maybe about 32, 34 hours where I was on duty. I spent six or eight hours, went home, come back on the following day and was and was back on again and took a handover from my colleagues and okay. eventually got to the point where um, the person who was armed with a gun inside mm-hmm. eventually had been stabilized to the point that he was able to communicate with us clearly. There was a clear understanding 
And obviously, if you can imagine with a person armed with a gun, then the safety precautions that had to be taken before that concluded was something which had to be gone over and over again. So yeah, that, that took a longer time, but really it was about building a relationship and stabilizing yeah. the person. And sometimes it takes longer to, to gain their trust and to stabilize that relationship. And yeah. every situation is unique. Yes. So you have on the website, uh, I think it might be the name of, of one of your training courses, listen uh, as if your life depends on it. I thought that was a very strong uh, su uh, subject line. So so how everyone knows, like in our profession, the sales profession, everyone knows how important it is to listen. However, it's easier said than done because uh, you can listen just to get to be able to speak, basically. I think that's a mistake many people make. Yeah. So what is your experience on really learning how to listen at a higher level? Are there any sort of quick exercises or tips or advice you could give us? Yeah, listen, absolutely. In terms of listening, I think one of the common mistakes that people make is that they either listen to respond or they're listening with another agenda. They're not really listening to understand right. what's being said. You don't listen to understand the other person because as soon as you think of what your next question is going to be, you're back on your own agenda. Exactly. So we teach people to get off of your agenda, get on their agenda and only respond to perhaps the last thing that you've heard. And mm -hmm. so in terms of that, we teach people to listen for clues, which will help unpick what drives the person's behavior. And we, we have a phrase that we say, you know, people are listening for information. Knowledge is not power. Okay, we reiterate, knowledge right. is not power. It's the application of knowledge which gives you power. So yeah. it's what you do with that information. So we train them to listen for dialogue, but turn that information into intelligence. Let's right. do something with the information mm -hmm. and categorize it in a way that helps us understand the person understands what their real need is and not the need that's sometimes being expressed openly. Understand what's really going on behind their eyes, behind the mind, right. and then you can connect with people. And when you truly connect with people in an authentic way, then that's when you're able to influence their behavior. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about the, the manipulation of, of people in Hollywood movies. Yeah. In order to be authentic, you know, manipulation is a, is a word that I hate because it has... It has a sinister undertone. Yeah. We teach people not to manipulate, but to influence. And the difference is manipulation is about getting your way, but influence is about provoking change with a good intention. Right. So we will provoke change with a good intention. And very often, the person on the other side will have to see a positive outcome. And, you know, the minute you start to trick people, you will never get them back again. They will never trust you ever again. And, and very yeah. often on the edge of a bridge there are some people who may be up there two or three times and if you if you lie or cheat or manipulate them they would never trust you again and you would lose a life so when human life is at stake it's more important to be authentic and real and and deal with the consequences of that and so we just teach them to to do that to listen for the clues that really matter and not just yeah. listen to formulate their next question that is so fascinating and so relevant for anyone uh, who's trying to convince anyone, I think, or influence anyone. 
and help them achieve a better outcome. So, and now, as I understand it, you you actually train people in business as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've I've yeah. taken the skills and the techniques that I learned in the hostage negotiation world mm -hmm. that we that we borrowed from the world of psychology. Yeah. And we understand a bit more about human behavior and how to influence human beings. So we focus on people. Yeah. And I transfer that into the corporate world. And in many types of organization, we teach them how to influence the behavior of other people, right. be that in their own organization or during corporate negotiations or business contracts or even asking for a pay rise, all of the way through having difficult conversations with your bosses or with counterparts in other organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we teach them basic communication skills that we all take for granted and assume that if you're a certain age and have got a level of common sense, then your communication skills should be at that level. When in fact, you know, it's yeah. like everything. We have, to, we have to continuously learn and improve. And the more you learn and improve, the better you become at any skill. Yes. So we just, you know, invest some time with them Mm -hmm. rehearse those skills and then set them free and watch them improve and grow. Beautiful. Yeah, I think uh, we've mentioned assumptions as, as a bad uh, bad word a few times <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. So I think uh, that's always something to think about. If we're assuming that uh, salespeople or sales professionals or any professional uh, should be able to do something that they have not been taught how to do, we, we're probably uh, in, in, a, in a bad spot. So if, if anyone who listened to this would like to uh, contact you, learn more about you, what would be the best way to, to do that? No, awesome. So thank you. So anyone who wants to learn more or use my organization to help train their company or negotiate on their behalf, you can look on our website at www.negotiatedresolutions.com. Come in, have a look, see some of the modules that are there. And even if you want to just email in for advice or guidance, then, of course, we're always willing to help uh, in any way we can so that we can help bring those skills, you know, and, and help people with a communication process, which will enhance not only their business, but these are the very same skills, as you mentioned earlier, you can use to get your children to eat their dinner. It's the same thing. It's just, it's just people are just people. Yeah, no, that's that's great. This has been uh, fantastic, and I thank you so much for for joining us on the show today. No, and, thank you. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. I hope uh, you'll get a lot of sales teams reaching out now to to learn more about these skills. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So, thanks for this, and uh, have a fantastic day. And we'll we'll see you out there on social media. I am sure. Thank you, George. It was a pleasure. Thank you.